0: Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them, a weekly podcast hosted by Stacy Jones, the CEO and founder of Los Angeles Entertainment marketing agency Hollywood Brandon. Join Stacy and learn from her 20 years of experience as she shares top-notch advice on marketing best practices for brands and walks you through how to leverage entertainment content and influencer partnerships to increase your brand's overall consumer engagement and most importantly, your sales. And now, here's your host, Stacey Jones.
1: Welcome to another episode of Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I'm Stacey Jones, and today I'm going to talk to you about the legal rules about product placement in the United States. Both the Federal Trade Commission, that's the FTC, and the Federal Communications Commission, that's the FCC, have explored regulation of product placement in recent years. Certain groups have challenged the right for content producers to include brands without disclosure that they or the content owners have been paid to integrate commercial interests into the programming. The original concerns arose in October 2003, way back then, when Ralph Nader, remember him? His consumer protection group, Commercial Alert, lodged a complaint about product placement, demanding that TV networks identify paid placements in the programming with on screen disclaimers. At the time, concern was very high that in addition to enforcing disclosure, the FTC could hold hearings to work out industry standards and issue best practice guidelines. In turn, the FCC could opt to ban the practice entirely, though that always seemed extremely unlikely. The Public Interest Law and Policy Center argued that the disclosure of product placement is unjustifiable and would infringe on free speech principles. The center also argued that the practice is a long-standing and legitimate form of commercial speech, and a ban on product placement would also affect viewers, since advertisers provide funding for many shows. Additionally, how workable disclosure notification could actually be was a major issue, as thousands of brands are shown or mentioned in programs every month. In many cases, these brands appear as a result of a writer putting them there in order to reflect reality, not at the bequest of an advertiser. Both government agencies had the potential to radically alter the then mushrooming product placement business. As TV networks would have been forced to showcase disclosures, interrupting the programming viewers were watching in the process. And after review, both the FTC and FCC chose to not make required changes at that time. A couple of years ago, a new buzzword was created that had marketers hopping and still hopping today to get on board and try out the newfangled advertising Hail Mary, and that discovery, in a nutshell, product placement, just with a new name, Native Advertising. In December 2015, the Federal Trade Commission published new guidelines for native advertising, which has altered the product placement landscape to just a small degree and has had a much bigger impact on social influencers with new regulations in place in 2017. So what is native advertising? Good old trusty Wikipedia defines native advertising as a type of advertising usually online but feasibly elsewhere that matches the form and function of the platform upon which it appears. What that actually means? is that a brand appears in content, print, digital, video, or TV in a way that appears organic and natural so that the viewer believes the product is part of the content and it provides additional credibility to the brand and makes the consumption of the advertising a more enjoyable experience. When I say native advertising is product placement, what I really mean is that native advertising is the definition of good product placement. The only difference here is that some product placement is on a trade or loan basis without a fee being paid, while other product placement uses a fee to guarantee scripting and that camera angles are on the brand's logo. So regulations do differ here. Per the FTC's website, this is exactly what the FTC says, using, and it's actually quite entertaining, examples. What they say is that native ads can be integrated into content including entertainment programming and video games. In some instances, consumers are likely to understand that a sponsoring advertiser paid for the product integration. In other instances, a disclosure may be necessary to avoid deceiving consumers. So let's take a look at five examples FTC also provided on their website. Okay, so let's look at what it says word for word. First example, a video game immerses a player in a virtual world. While exploring part of the virtual world, a player sees billboards advertising actual products. The marketers of the advertised products paid the game designers to include the ads in the game. That billboards are advertisements is apparent to consumers, to the extent that the billboards are for actual products. Consumers are likely to attribute the ads to the sponsoring advertisers, and no disclosure is necessary. However, the sponsoring advertisers would be liable for any deceptive product claims on the billboards. Okay, that makes sense. So let's look at the second opportunity. The same virtual world game, which we just discussed, integrates branded products in other ways. For example, game characters wear a specific sunglass brand, drink a particular brand of beverage, and patronize a particular donut shop. The sponsoring advertisers paid the game developer to include their branded products in the game. However, the game conveys no objective claims about their various branded products. Even though consumers may not realize that the sponsored advertisers paid for their branded products to appear, disclosure of this paid product placement is not necessary to prevent consumer deception because whether the branded products appear in the game because of payment by the sponsoring advertiser or because of the video game developer's creative judgment is not likely to be material to consumers. Alright? So let's look at their third example. A game app tests players' skills to survive in the wilderness and offers a choice of supplies and equipment in each game phase. When players tap to make a choice, a box appears containing a selection of items, for example, a flashlight, a rope, and a hatchet. Each item is accompanied by a short message, for example, the phrase, light your path, with the flashlight. Among the items players can select is a bar of soap identified by brand name with a text, clean up. If tapped, the soap icon takes the players out of the game and into the soap manufacturer's branded game app. Based on consumers' customary use of the game and the similarity of the soap to other items players can select in the game, consumers might not recognize the icon as an ad before tapping and leaving the game. Because the in-app ads format misleads consumers in this respect, a clear and prominent disclosure informing them of the icon's commercial nature is necessary before consumers tap on it. Okay, so now the brand is actually going to have to have a notification go out to that viewer and player. Let's look at the fourth example. On its website, a home improvement TV show features do-it-yourself videos hosted by an expert builder who provides advice on home projects. A stain manufacturer, ZYEX Paints, pays the show to produce and publish on the home improvement show site. A video on building a wood deck. In the video, the show's expert builder uses a ZYX paint stain and recommends it to protect and maintain the deck. The ad's look and feel closely resembles other videos posted on the Home Improvement Show's site, which customarily are unpaid. In this situation, consumers are likely to perceive the video as independent content, reflecting the impartial opinion of the expert builder host or the show's writers and would not likely attribute it to the sponsoring advertiser. An effective disclosure informing consumers of the video's commercial nature before they play it is necessary to prevent consumer deception. So now we're looking at having to have something that's a call-out about being sponsored. And now let's look at the fifth example. Instead of the video I just described, the home improvement show is paid by ZYX Paints to create and publish on the show's site a video that shows the expert builder host using ZYX Paint stain on the deck. However, rather than the expert builder expressing recommending the product to protect and maintain deck, the camera zooms in on the product's label. Whether an effective disclosure informing consumers of the video's commercial nature would be necessary depends upon reasonable consumer expectations. In this particular situation, consumers would likely interpret the use of the branded stain product to be the expert recommendation and opinion of the expert builder host or the show's writers, rather than a paid inclusion. In that case, a clear and prominent disclosure of the video's commercial nature is necessary before consumers play it. So now we are really looking at the fact that a consumer needs to be told that a brand is Content. If there's an expert's voice or a camera shot of a logo inferring the preferred usage of the brand, that's going to affect a lot of reality shows. One way they can get around this is by mentioning on screen our partner, brand ZYX Paint, versus the messy, in-your-face screen takeover yelling that this is an ad. So beyond what's legal now and what isn't, the true issue a brand needs to keep in mind is that when products are stuffed into shows without regard to entertainment value, it's clearly a matter of product placement overkill and a lack of taste, which may cause consumers to turn off programming but that's not what most brands are seeking. And while many do push to have more impactful product placements, they do also understand that an organic partnership is the ideal to not offend potential customers. And those organic partnerships are also less likely to offend the FTC. So stop by hollywoodbranded.com to take a look at our library, which has infographics, white papers, ebooks, and videos, or our blog blog.hollywoodbranded.com which has hundreds of helpful hints on how to make brand influence through our entertainment content partnerships a success from the get-go. That's it for this episode. I hope it was helpful, and please let me know if you have any feedback. I'll see you next week. And as always, if you need a little or a lot of help, my agency, Hollywood Branded, is here to lend a hand. If you would leave a review or any questions I can address in the future, I'd really appreciate it, as your feedback helps me know my advice is valuable and interesting to you.
0: don't forget to join Stacy Jones for our next podcast conversation about marketing mistakes and how to avoid them. Let's make that entertainment marketing magic happen for you.